How's it going, everybody? Thank you again for listening. And we are five days from Christmas. It's crazy if you think about it. Um, I think I speak for almost everybody when I say 2021 can't get here fast enough. Um, but in reflecting on this year, I definitely have to say thank you uh, again to each and every one of you who's continued to support the show. Um, I enjoy this so much. And so the fact that uh, some of you may enjoy it as well, uh, it's just uh, such an added bonus. That said, um, I'm not feeling so great today, and I'm recording this ad set and intro from bed, actually. Um, and I owe Samson uh, a huge thank you for sending me over their satellite portable microphone a while back, and I'm putting it to the test. So I've used it in past episodes as well. It's uh, always held up, but big thank you to them for sending it over. Uh, I don't know if I'd be able to get this episode wrapped up and out to all of you, but I wanted to because my guest was super cool uh, and I really, really enjoyed having a conversation with him. We talked about his career as a supercross racer and the unconventional path that he took to get there. I am very ignorant to supercross and that sport in general, so I really appreciated him walking me through uh, you know, what it's like to be a racer. Um, and some of the stories that he had along the way, including being replayed over and over again on ESPN for punching another rider during a race, uh, as well as a very serious uh, and freak tragic accident that he suffered uh, in 2018 while competing in Paris, France. Uh, that accident ultimately led to him losing his eyesight in one eye and was a contributing factor to his ultimate retirement. I really appreciate him sharing all of the stories, and I think you're going to really like this one. Give it up for my guest, Weston Pike. But before we enjoy this episode, a super quick shout out from the sponsor of the show and hopefully future favorite coffee brand of Weston Pike. I got to say, I'm sending him a bag and he says he's a coffee freak, but you know who it is, guys. It's action. And if you don't know who Action is and you haven't gone to drinkaction.com, and that's Action with a K, then you're missing out and you're slacking, especially if you've listened to this podcast before. Look, guys, Action Coffee is sourced from Guatemala and it's artisan roasted on demand in Austin, Texas. We ship it right to your doorstep. So it's landing there a couple days after it's been through the roaster. It doesn't get any fresher than that. There are no insecticides, pesticides, or artificial flavors. It's just good, clean coffee. And if you use code word curious, you'll get 15% off of your order. And if you sign up for a subscription, you'll get 20% off of your order. Everything from specialty roast coffees and even natural supplements. Active and fuel. Active is a turmeric and hemp product, which is great for anti-inflammation. Fuel is individual packets of MCT. We call them MCT bombs. Very good. Drinkaction.com, use code word curious, and enjoy this episode. I think I've done this Zoom shit like a thousand times and I still find a way to screw it up every every time I try it. Yeah, I usually do it a couple times. I the only time I started using it was with uh, some of my reps and shit for my furniture business. And then uh, 
you know, I'm building a house in Boise, so I had to Zoom call a bunch of shit because there's no, there's no going over there all the time, so it's easier to do it from here. Yeah, no, damn, man, building a house through Zoom, I can't fucking imagine. Yeah, yeah, well, I, I got to go up there um, a couple times, but it was like, I didn't even see the house. It was more or less just going through pictures, and that was kind of how I, <clears throat> I just picked out a house. I was like, fuck it, just get this house, and so I was actually, um, I got to go up there two weeks ago and actually picked out all the, uh, all the appliances and the flooring and all that kind of stuff. So it was like a semi-custom build on the house, but. Why Boise? Uh, um, I just want to get the hell out of California and uh, just kind of over it here. I'm going to sell out my business to my business partner. And then uh, I, because uh, I still, I, I still am like a brand ambassador for Fly. So I do that. I got a multi-year deal with those guys. And then um, I'm going to start developing, or that's the, the point was going there is to kind of start getting more in tune with the company. And, and uh, I'm actually going to start building um, products for Harleys through our company at Western Power Sports up in Idaho. So it just makes sense to be there. It's closer. It's, you know, I don't have to do the shit back and forth from California and, you know, send parts, go there, go here. So it just makes it easier just being in one spot. No, man, I've heard, I've never been to Boise, never been to Idaho. I've heard it's uh, absolutely amazing. Yeah, it's pretty awesome up there. Like good people. And I mean, the weather's awesome in the summer, but it's a little cold right now. But I mean, for the most part, it's it's just a better life, I think, than California, most likely. So now you grew up born and raised in Southern Cal, right? Yeah. Yeah. I've been here since. Yeah. Since the start. I mean, we, we moved a couple times as kids to Oklahoma and back and forth. But um, for the most part, I've been here and uh, I traveled to. Well, no, I went to when I was racing for JGR. I lived in I bought a house in Charlotte. So I was there for three years. No, it was actually five years, actually. So I was there for five years back and forth between california and, and north carolina so it was, it was just easy because when it was uh when it was summertime i'd go back there and then wintertime i'd stay in california just so i can actually ride because it's it gets too cold back there and starts snowing and raining a bunch so mm -hmm. yeah, yeah i was gonna ask you like i don't i'm somewhat ignorant to like motocross world but it's always been something that i was into you know what i mean i i loved watching it on television i loved playing video games that were motocross and I knew people that did it, but it just, it missed me as a kid. Um, okay. And it seems like, am I right in saying there's like a lot of people in Southern California, like that Riverside, Temecula, I don't, I didn't know what it was, but it seemed like there was a lot of people from that area. Is there something about it? Was there a lot of programs or like, how, how did you get involved early? Cause it seemed like by the time I realized that it was cool and it was something I would have been interested in doing the kids that were doing it had been doing it for 10 years already. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so the, the whole Cali thing was because it was at one point in time, it was the best tracks. All the manufacturers were in California. So all of our um, factory test tracks are in Corona. So it's like compound up on the hill. So we have KTM Husky, Honda, Yamaha, Suzuki, Cowie, Cowie one, Cowie two. And then across the street, there's another Cowie track. So it's all kind of, it's all stuck in this area, but now, now like um, Honda, Honda, Yamaha, and uh, somebody else, they just, they're moving to uh, Georgia now. So it's all the factory is going to Georgia now. So it's, it's kind of hit or miss. Like some of the race team is going to stay in California. And then most of it's like the personnel is going to go back to Georgia and then just start back there. So, mm -hmm. but, but now it's like a lot of, uh, 
a lot of factory guys are just kind of burnt on California because it's the tracks are sucking. They're not as good. So then everybody's going and building tracks in Texas, Oklahoma, Florida, you know, just because it's it's way better riding, better dirt, better training and stuff. So it kind of kind of bounces back and forth too on on what time of the year. Yeah. Well, in California, I mean, it's just a, it seems, it seems like it's every direction going in the wrong direction. My parents, well, my mom, my two younger brothers live out there and I feel for them. It's like my mom's not, we're, we're all from the East coast, but they've moved out there and my mom's still got like that East coast mentality and she's kind of loud and boisterous about it. And, uh, Think she's learning really quick that she's in the wrong place right now she's like oh what what did i do you know she moved out there right before the pandemic hit so oh so she just recently came yeah, out. yeah she just uh, recently moved out there. <laughs> but what made him come out here uh you know so my my young brother moved out to southern cal like anaheim area shit probably like five six years ago just he was the one brother that was like fuck it i'm out of small town pennsylvania I'm tired of this shit. I'm going to actually move out West. And he went out there, worked some odd jobs, like in water restoration and mold removal and okay. uh, worked his way into the cannabis industry. And okay. he helped me, he helped me get over into that space. And we invested in some businesses and he's done well with it. And uh, he just actually took some of what he's done and, and started his own business in the, the water and mold restoration. So he kind of went back and kind of, dove into the industry, tried to make money while he had the opportunity and then went back and is trying to like pave a, a little bit more of a solidified path. But, um, my bro other brother works for weed maps and, uh, my mom works for the VA, but she's also a, a Reiki practitioner. So I don't know if you know what Reiki is. It's kind of like a, it's like massage without touching you. It's hysterical. Okay. I, I don't want to say it's hysterical. I, it's uh, we bust <laughs> we, we bust her chops, you know. But it's, All the mind uh, yeah, it's like uh, I don't know. It's just some crystals involved, and my mom's very spiritual, and it's uh, you know I don't know. She cl she claims it, and the people that that pay her there, I mean, she gets people that come back for more. So I don't know. As long as it all you can do, right? Yeah. It works, it works. She loves it. I think it's, it's just, it, it fits her. She's happy. So yeah. it's fun for me too. Cause it gives me something to mess with her about, but yeah. Yeah, I did. It's funny. I got a massage when I was in Boise, like in August and kind of started like that. I was like a woman there and it was like, the lady was super hippie and I'm like, this is fucking weird a little bit. And uh, <clears throat> she started burning sage around the room and all this shit. And then, uh, and then she, and then like it was like five minutes straight before the massage like i'm laying <clears throat> i'm laying down in bed and she's like oh i'm gonna i'm gonna put pressure on your chest and and we're gonna go through these these this talk and all this shit and i'm like i don't fucking want to do that just rub my back it's fucked up like i don't want to sit here <laughs> and talk to you about whatever the hell you got going on and i was like just fucking do your shit leave me alone <laughs> yeah yeah um, it's funny, man. Cause like, I'm, I'm really skeptical. I'm open to anything, but like, I'm always like, I'm open, but I'm going to, until I see something significant, then I'm just going to kind of in back of my mind, call it bullshit. Um, and nothing has ever seemed to work, but my wife and I were struggling to have a, a child and my mom's like, let me do the Reiki, let me do the Reiki. And so like, we kind of humored her and everything. And like within a month, 
we were pregnant. So it's like, she always goes, she always goes back to that and reminds me, she's like, you know, you say that this is all a bunch of woo woo stuff, but you know, you have a beautiful little boy now because of that. So. So she puts it on you like that. (laughs) She does. She's, she loves the guilt trips, but now they're, they're loving Callie, but I think right now it's just not, it's not for them either. And I considered moving out there a couple of times and it just, the more time I spent out there, you could feel it, the kind of environment changing, you know what I mean? It's not, and when I would talk to people who had lived there their whole life, I didn't get a sense that they were really thrilled with how things were happening. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I live in like a pretty like Republican area, mm-hmm. so it's not it's not terrible, but I mean, you go to LA and it's just like, this place is freaking weird, man. You know, I, I try not to go there and I try to stay in this little area where I know it's kind of somewhat normal still. And, but you know, it's, I mean, I guess it's like any big city, you know, but it's, it's always uh, difficult to kind of deal with that and deal with so much political bullshit. It's just like, come yeah. on, just like shut up and, <laughs> you know, handle your shit. So is, is motocross racing right now during all this stuff or like, what's the status <laughs> of all that during pandemic? Um, so kind of what happened is, is I think right about I did the last event with uh, Fly Racing um, in what well, we were in Atlanta, so it had to have been February, March, and then COVID hit, and then they shut it down for quite a few months, and then we finished everything in uh, Salt Lake City. So it was no fans, you know, limited spectators, like no family in the seating. We had to watch from the semi truck, and so they finished the rest of the Supercross season in in uh in salt lake city like they just ran like i think it was what they do like a saturday monday saturday monday tuesday kind of they finished the last i think six or seven rounds but um and then they postponed outdoors they kept postponing it postponing it and then they ended up just kind of crushing everything into eight rounds at a couple different places but um it was a little bit hectic and then like i mean even now going into uh this next year for supercross like they just canceled um all the Glendale races. We're supposed to have three races in Glendale and they just canceled Glendale out. So no more Arizona. So then it went to Orlando. So it's just kind of like, it's just like waiting to see like what, what city, what state, what governor is going to have a fit and say, no, this isn't allowed. So it's, it kind of sucks for the riders. Like if I was racing, it'd be, you know, kind of shitty. Cause you're like, well, damn, am I going to show up and race? You know, like what's really going to happen. But, um, but I guess it's everybody's in the same boat. So they kind of have to just deal with it. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, it's, it's, it's a turn on the NFL and it's like empty stadiums, you watching a UFC fight. It's kind of cool. You know, it's like, it's like you're watching an actual fight in high school again, because you hear every punch and every knee, you know, every breath taken, but I don't know, something just seems funny about the whole situation. Um, It's a shame. I don't get it. You know, like just like shutting everything down. Cause I think they just knew some just shut down California again for another three weeks. Just like, like, what are you trying to fix here, man? Like, it ain't gonna do nothing different. Just the the differences of like, I can go to Costco and stand in line between fifty to one hundred, two hundred people, and that's okay. But I can't, I can't have my store open, even though I do. I don't shut my store down. I don't, I don't give a shit. They can try to come arrest me, and they won't. But you know, it's just kind of shitty. You know, it really ruins a lot of people's businesses. I mean, obviously, it's it's been happening for eight months now, so it's kind of a well, just a struggle. But. When you think about it, it's, 
I've, I'm not, I can't take credit for this. I'm just regurgitating what I've seen said really well by other people, but there's been eight to 10 months time for the government to fix what was the problem eight to 10 months ago. Like, why are there no more hospital beds? We talked about all these different things and small business owners are the ones that had to get creative and spend their own money to put fucking plastic up over shit and, you know, make it half capacity and then 25% capacity. And there's been seemingly no effort by any government other than to say, oh, no, take less. Sorry. No, we're going to have to send a health inspector out. Nope. Sorry. You had a little bit over capacity. The fact that they haven't done a quarter of the work that the small business owners to me is baffling. But then when you really think about it, it's, it really shouldn't be baffling because we've been getting fucked by the government every which way and sideways for years. <clears throat> yeah. It's crazy. Cause I, I mean, I just drive around town and, and you see these restaurants that put in all that work and it's like outdoor seating covered. And I'm like, what's the damn difference? Like you got an inside, inside restaurant. And then now they're building an outside restaurant that's approved by the government originally, but it's all closed off in plastic tents. But what's, what are we doing here? You know, there's no difference, but I'm just glad um, in Temecula, Old Town Temecula, that entire street, it's like a two mile long street. They all said F you and they're all open. Every restaurant's awesome. open, every bar's open, they're downstairs and I was like, hell yeah. But then you go, as soon as you leave that one exit, everybody shut down, all just take out only. Um, it's just kind of, I wish everybody would have just jumped on that bandwagon and said, mm-hmm. you know, screw you, just kept it open. but. I don't, you know, I don't know where they, you know, they should have all came together, but unfortunately. Yeah, I think the, the unfortunate thing, you know, it's people, people are very fearful of repercussions of social media. You know, they don't want to be the person called out on Facebook. They don't want to be canceled. So it's just to them, I feel like everybody's like, all right, I'll just conform so that we can get through this because I don't want my life to be inconvenienced anymore. And I just wish people would at a minimum, be open, because it, it feels like you can't even have the conversation. That's where it's scary to me. Like, I'll look, you don't have to agree with me. Maybe we see things differently. But I get really scared when I try to address the conversation and people are like, ah, no, we're, we're not allowed to even talk about that. You can't bring that up. So Yeah, I hate that the most. Like, it's I get in battles with people about stuff like that. And I'm like, you're, you're just but you're just a nine to five person that wants to argue with you like you don't actually know what it's like to own a business like you clock in clock out you go home at the end of the day and you don't worry about it and you always know you're going to collect an unemployment check if something doesn't happen so you're not seeing the other side of of what people are going through and it's it's unfortunate but that's just kind of you know the biggest problem i see is that and then you know you want to get into somebody and have a cordial conversation and they just start firing off and being stupid and you're like it's not even worth it and i, I get into that all the time on my instagram with people and i'm just like Number one, like, screw you, unfollow me. I don't care. Like, this is my platform. You can go somewhere else. Like, get out of here. See you later. Like, I ain't going to argue with you. Yeah. You know, no, there's people that make a career out of just surfing and trying to create discontent and, and, and get a little like boost because people see that they got into it with Weston. You know, it's like, it's, it's funny. No, yeah. I, it's funny. Like, I've had numerous times where it's like, it's just, people like that, you know, they just chase the attention, you know, they, they start a conversation and they want to talk crap. And then, and then you call them out on their bullshit. And then I get it all the time. Like I'll call them out on their bullshit and then they'll send me a private DM and say, Hey, sorry, bro. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, get the fuck out of here. Like, <laughs> like, 
Like yeah. you're, you're just a waste of time is what it is. You know, it's, that's why I call them just time wasters. And, and that's, well, that's just how life goes. You know, people are got their hands with nothing on them and they're just sitting here got nothing to do. And they just want to, they just want some type of action in their life. But yeah. Yeah. So you have a business doing furniture. Tell me about this. Yeah. So I, um, so after my injury in 18, um, it was back in November 18. So then I kind of, uh, I mean, I, I have, you know, I've done well racing. So I kind of just, I had a vape shop. I owned a vape shop from 2015 and I sold it last year. And then, um, so my, my neighbor, Jody, he's been in furniture for 20 years and stuff. And, uh, so he, he, we were over here talking after about, it was probably 2019, a couple months after my injury. And, um, he's just like, Oh, what do you want to do? Like, you want to, you want to open a, a business potentially. And I was like, uh, yeah, maybe. And then we kind of just talk, talk. And then, um, and then this spot came up, a retail spot, and then we're like, screw it, let's just do it. So we actually uh, jumped into it as partners in May of last year, and then just kind of started taking off, and it's been really successful. And something I've never done before, that side of retail and being really hands-on with it and, you know, dealing with customers and, and handling the whole back end of the business. And it's a, <clears throat> it's a good experience for me, for sure. And uh, it's, it's still going right now. It's still doing well. We kind of never shut down through COVID, and our numbers spiked crazy with COVID, like just like any other business that stayed open. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's been successful. It's just, it's just that fine, fine line of like anybody right now is, is trying to find product and the manufacturers aren't shipping from overseas and it's delayed materials, this and that. So it's kind of been a, a struggle on that side of it, just trying to get product available. But mm-hmm. um, it's been an experience, man. I mean, I'm always, I'm a hustler, man. I like to, I like to just kind of, you know, get into things that I'm not comfortable with and, and make the best of it and, you know, learn and just, I mean, that's kind of been my life, you know, since I was a kid, just kind of always hustling and, and just trying to figure out the best of it. Baptism by fire. Yep. No, it's true. I, it's, I did a little bit of research on your background and it sounded like, again, with my ignorance to how the sport really operates, it seems like there's, there's limited opportunities to kind of be sponsored, but being, being sponsored gives you this at an advantage ultimately right you're riding the best stuff you've got teams that are supporting you financially you've got just ease of life and then you know i kind of heard you speak through some of how you were supporting this and your family was supporting this and the travel and the money and the time and and the resources that kind of went into it i mean can you get kind of explain because again i'm so ignorant to this stuff like how does that all work and, and what kind of advantage do you have when you are signed to one of those organizations? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty crazy. The whole, the whole sport is like, to me, I think it's, it's pretty ass backwards upside down on how they kind of go about it and how they structure it and the availability and the money that's not there and all that. But, you know, obviously I, I've been riding my whole life and I went to regular school, I played football and everything. And then I, once I jumped back into motocrosses, I was playing football. I got expelled from every school I was in. And then I kind of, at that point, I was like, you're an idiot. You know, you're not going anywhere with school. And then, <clears throat> so after I got expelled in ninth grade, my dad came to me and he's like, what are you going to do, you idiot? Like you've gotten expelled from every school you've gone to. Like you want to work for me or you want to start racing again? And I kind of, I was like, well, I ain't freaking working for you. Like, I'm not going to paint a living. Like, screw that. And um, so that's kind of where it, it took off. You know, I, I started out in 06, you know, running amateur stuff. And then um, 06, 07, 08, um, 
did amateur stuff. I kind of, I really didn't have much support. I had a little bit of here and there. And then uh, my last year amateur, I, I won a couple championships and then uh, there really was no future for me in that. So then um, we kind of just hopped right into uh, pro racing professionally and just kind of, my dad bought two bikes. We went racing at, you know, the local national and uh, it just kind of spiked from there. And with that, I mean, that whole timeline of my career was like from 2009 to 2014, it was just pure hell struggle. You know, like there's like, you know, you're reaching, you're reaching, you're trying to find as much help as you can. And it's like, you have that potential, but since I didn't go through that strict route from when I was five years old to being a professional amateur and the whole BS program, like I was overlooked, you know, I just, I was like the 100% guy that was overlooked. Like you'd reach out for help and it was just like, yeah, you're, you're nothing like, yeah, keep on doing what you're doing. And, uh, but I just kind of was, I always had that mentality of just like, you know, never give up, never quit. And I had people helping me, you know, obviously my dad, mom, brother, sister, and just other friends that helped me get along the way of racing. And, and it, it really just kept me <clears throat> positive and, and made me a better person as in getting that point. So then, you know, after, after getting told that you're never going to make it so many times, it's like, that's only going to make you angrier and want to fight harder for something. And uh, so then, you know, come 14, um, I had my own team for Supercross and then, uh, and then I signed my first factory contract with RCH with uh, Carmichael and Kerry Hart. And uh, I raced for them for the whole outdoor series. And then um, kind of from that point, then I could prove, hey, now I have the best bikes. I, I, could, I can focus just on racing. And that kind of really, that took me to the next level of, of being able to just focus on racing and, and perform to the maximum that I could. And then, um, so at that point I signed with them through outdoors. And then I signed my first JGR contract um, in that same year, actually, for the next year of 2015. And, uh, but, you know, jumping into, you know, just the whole motocross program is like it's like I said it's pretty cutthroat as in you know sponsors teams and and what you're doing and how hard you're working and it's kind of there's really no you really can't screw up you know what I mean like if you if you screw up and you start slacking off and you're always like in that contract year because I mean as me as a racer you know since I didn't come up from the get-go and I wasn't that big name guy I was literally I was year to year. I'd never signed a two-year contract in my entire life of being a professional racer. And, and just having that in the back of your head every year, you're like, God damn, I don't have a ride for next year. Like, when am I going to get signed? You know, what am I going to make? How's this going to work? And, um, you know, thankfully that I signed with JGR, it was, um, you know, we all just, we all meshed really well. We had great relationships and, um, you know, Koi and J-Bone, they, they kept me on and, you know, they, they, they stuck with me through my best and my worst times. And, you know, and I, I had to prove back to them every single time and, and just keep on boosting myself and getting better and better and better. And, uh, and it kind of, it worked out for me. You know, I, I stuck with that team the whole entire time. Cause that's what I wanted to do. And that's where I wanted to be in. Cause they took care of me, man. It's like, I'm a loyal person. And, and when, when someone gives me a chance that, that I never could get from anybody else, it's like, I'm going to give you everything I have. And, mm -hmm. and that's kind of what I did with them. And also with, you know, fly racing and Western power sports, they've been with me for 12 years. So, you know, it's just, it's a, it's a great, you know, it's a great sport with great people, but then, then it gets to that point where it could just be, you know, super cutthroat, like you see with a lot of riders. It's like in, out, gone, see you later, you're forgot about, you know? So it's always a tough game, you know, with, with all that. But, you know, it's kind of, uh, that's, that's the sports though. Yeah, no, I can imagine the consistency and having a strong group of people around you all the time could make all the world a difference. So when you're, yeah. I'm, I was trying to like think, when you're practicing for, you know, like 
you think about other sports, you'll understand what your weaknesses are. It's like, okay, I'm a, I'm a fighter, right? I don't, I'm not really good on the ground. I'm getting beat on the ground. So I'm going to go find somebody who's really good at that. And I'm going to practice ground. Or if I'm in basketball, I need to work on my free throw shooting or you, you get the gist, right? Like, what is that like in a sport where seconds or, you know, half a seconds are really what matters? Like, how do you prepare for something like that? Aside from just going out and riding and just ripping, you know, through the course. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's almost kind of the same way, say football, basketball, um, on our off season, you know, obviously we take our whole year previous from that. And then we kind of break it down and say, Hey, this is where you sucked at. This is where you lost time at. You should be better here. Um, when we go into our off season after we're done with nationals, it's kind of like, um, I was with my trainer, buddy Antonis for freaking eight years. So, um, so we would just break it down and, and figure like, Hey, this is where your weaknesses are. So we would take an entire month on our off season and, you know, ride three, four days a week. And we would just literally work on strictly technique skills, um, speed. Uh, we'd break down the track into multiple different sections and I'd spend a whole day at the track, just, just doing the same thing over and over and over and over again until it was natural to me. And then that's kind of, that's kind of where I feel like I excelled a lot as I put a lot of time into into myself and my riding technique and to get better. So that's kind of, like I said, it, re it relates just like in any sport, you know, you just got to put the time in on the things that you suck at and then you got to get better on. And um, you know, that's what I did a lot. And it looks dumb. You're out the track, just doing drills all day long. You know what I mean? You're just over and over and over and over again. And then you see people riding just doing consecutive laps and it's like, but then you know, those people are never going to get better because they're never bettering their technique and their style of riding and, and, and bettering those little fine tuned things. Cause like you said, it's, it comes down to seconds and, and it's, you break down a track, you know, we have, we have a couple systems that we use and it literally will overlay me and it'll overlay somebody that's, that has, let's just call it the fastest time in practice. Like we can video it, overlay it, put them together. And then it'll literally show which part of the track you're faster and slower in um, inside outsides, what jump, um, section you're doing so it's kind of good to have that just to break it down as in you know how can you be better how can you beat him this this weekend so so are wow. you like generating analytics and things like that that you can look at and understand you know maybe like your like speeds into certain areas and um just like all, all sorts of data points or is it no you are yeah so mm -hmm. we so going into a whole nother level of that is um same thing. I mean, even when we're at the practice tracks and at racetracks, you know, we run data on our bikes all day long. You know, my practice bikes have data, race bikes have data. So as we're breaking down our laps on camera, we're also breaking down that in data at, on with our, with our um, engineers and our ECU guys and our motor guys. And they're saying, Hey, well, you're losing this time here. Cause you're not shifting. You need to shift up sooner. You need to shift down. You need to, um, get off the clutch, get off the brakes. So they, they, we have sensors on everything. So we can just, you just pretty much just overlay it on, on the video that you're actually watching. And it really just kind of gives you a sense of, of idea of like, well, crap. Yeah. I revved it out too long here. I should have shifted up. That would have been a half a second here. And it just kind of, we just kind of put it all together in a piece and then study it. And then that's when we go racing. And it kind of just, it kind of just folds into that. And that's kind of how we, that's how we base our off seasons and that's how we test and that's how we get, you know, the best bike we can at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. I'd imagine you, you almost absorb that into your own psyche as well too. And it just naturally improves your own ability because you start to understand 
even at a deeper level to your point, like, okay, I need to start shifting here. And you know what that feels like now. And then you take that on your, to the next race and not even, you know, need to be told that in the future. Yeah, exactly. So that's, that's what I'm saying. Once we, once we keep going over things like that, and then we get to that next point where it's like, okay, well, this is what worked on the weekends. This is what we need to focus on during the week. You know, it's, mm-hmm. you know, shift up a gear, you know, take more of these lines because this is how it's developing on the weekend. So it's, it's a lot of, a lot of things that would definitely come into play as in, you know, um, muscle memory and, and just memorying it in your head all the time of like, this is what we got to do. This is what we're working on, focus on this. And that's kind of how we kind of came together as, as, a really good team and that's how it's a good fit with just kind of being able to have access to the abilities of those things so. mm-hmm. yeah because then there's different track conditions i would imagine some of these some courses still inside do they do yeah that? so um like what 60 70 percent of our supercross races are inside okay. and then the rest are open stadiums and then all of our outdoor racing is all outside so it's all just it's a whole different system you know obviously supercross is indoors um close course and an average lap time is 50 seconds and then when we go outside to outdoors um we're talking two minutes two minutes three minutes you know kind of depending on which layout or which track route for that week mm-hmm. but um yeah it all it all plays in you know there's there's so many things but like from when we race in california then when we go to atlanta and, and dallas and and st louis like the dirt changes so much then at that same time we change our bikes so that's kind of like where i related back to um during west coast supercross i train in california so my my bike in california is completely different than my bike on the east coast you know the suspension setup's different chassis different the wheel length you know tires are different so kind of you kind of have to adjust to that and kind of pre-game yourself a couple of weeks before and start heading east coast to start getting used to something different because that's what the tracks are different you know you have a lot more ruts the dirt's tackier you're not getting a lot of wheel spin so everything changes but you know from the team's past history that we kind of have that that start starting base of instead of so we're not with our hair you know running around like chickens and stuff so we kind of have that base program to start with that's really cool i love i love trying to like break this down because i I'm drawing, I'm trying like drawing similarities, even it's weird as it sounds from like golf, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like different conditions. You have, you know, different courses. You're, I have a cousin that's really big into golf and he would just like sit there and hit balls from like a certain distance because he knew that was where he was always going to hit his initial drive. So mm-hmm. it was just kind of like that deliberate practice of, of learning. So that's, yeah, that's one thing that really, like, that's one thing that I'm glad I had my trainer buddy with is like he was so for technique like his whole life his whole training base was like technique if you have the technique down then then everything else is going to come along with that and that's kind of you know where a lot of trainers they just want to go to the track and pound out laps and faster 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 but it's like then you start getting sloppy you know you're not actually you're not actually being a legit rider you're just you're going fast but you don't have technique you know so it kind of it's i have a lot of i have a lot of technical skills behind me as in you know training with him for such a long time that's really cool so uh, i told somebody that i was doing this podcast after you and i connected on social media and uh they were like hey weston's a badass he's like the one of the only guys that's ever gotten into a fist fight during a race <laughs> is there truth to that like what's the story behind this Oh, so, I mean, I've always been, I've been raised differently, man. I, you know, I was, I was raised with a brother that I used to fight with all the time. And, you know, same with my pops, you know, we're just, 
that's just who I am. And, um, you know, I'm more of like the guy that's like, take no shit. Like if you got a problem, like let's step behind the semi and, and handle it, you know, but, um, there's not a lot of people like that, but yeah, I mean, at the point, you know, I'm not, I'm not always that kind of person, but if you push me to that point, I will be that person. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, so I've had, I've had numerous incidents with, you know, the same person with, you know, like you said, with, you know, punching somebody on live TV and um, all that stuff. But that's, that's a funny story. Cause it goes back to, to like 2012 or 13 when I was a privateer and that same dude cleaned me out at uh, Washougal national during practice. Like we're not even racing. Like this is a practice incident. He cuts the track, cleans me out. So I get up and I start hitting him. So this went back from like years ago. So this, this was then. So I got fined back then almost, uh, you know, almost got suspended for a couple of races and then uh, all that. So then fast forward, you know, I'm always racing this kid, you know, we're kind of the same speed for a few years. And then I kind of just took off and, and, you know, left him. And um, then back to that, you know, it was the same thing. I kind of had, that was my bad year actually. So when I was uh, in 2017, my second year with JGR, I kind of took a different route on my training program and it kind of bit me in the ass. And so I was kind of like the guy that was a little off pace. And so I was kind of back down to his pace of like his level where he can kind of catch me and if he wanted to. So we had an incident that same night, he, he ran me high off the berm, hit a, hit a um, hay bale, flipped over the bars. And then I uh, went back into the last, the semi race of the night same thing. I came, I went wide into a turn and he just never stopped and just cleaned me out. And then at that point I was like, I didn't even have to look and see who it was. I knew it was him because he's the only dirty rider like that. So I just went full black and just started just, I didn't care what I was hitting at that point. You know, people talk crap, well, you're punching the helmet. I'm like, I don't give a shit what I was hitting. I just wanted to hit him, you know, and that's kind of uh, that, but you know, that was, like I said, that's just my mentality of like, you can only push somebody so far and they're going to snap, you know, and then they kind of take that as in like, you know, there's a lot of people that, that didn't like it. And there's a lot of people that did like it, you know, just because they know his background and they know my background. I just, you know, I don't take any shit. And um, that's kind of where it, where it left off with that. And I've never really had an issue with him since. I'm sure as much as to your point, people who didn't like it there, there had to have been a big surge of popularity that kind of gain from that because of people realizing like oh fuck this guy's real like he's he's not he's no bullshit yeah it definitely it definitely took my my level of, of being known to another level of of just social media and just fan base and everything else and i mean as well too i mean i think it's still the only it's the only motocross video that made it on on espn <laughs> just funny like you know and then you get into that and it's like with all that bs like I got suspended for two weekends, you know, got a $5,000 fine and all that. And it's like, the worst part about it is like that they played it all year long on national TV. And it's like, how can you suspend me for two weekends and find me and then just keep playing it, keep playing it and advertise it. So that's back to where I, I think it's, there's a lot of, um, a lot of bullshit in this sport, you know, with how it really goes down. But you know, mm-hmm. it's, that's, you have no control over it because we're all just clowns. You know, we're in a circus at the end of the day is what I call it. It's a circus. And until anything changes, until it gets unionized, it's, we're all just here for them. And that's how it goes. It's, it's a, it's a different sport, you know? Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a really interesting problem too, because I'm right there with you. You know, I mean, college athletes are another great example of that. I mean, the billions of dollars that college sports generates, and there's 
barely anything. I mean, yeah, you give kids a free education in some cases, but what's that worth anymore anyways? So it's like, you know, it's interesting, but then I'm also the person to turn on the television and support a system that's really exploiting people in some ways, because, you know, I'm selfishly interested in watching it. Yeah. It's definitely different. No, but it, so it seems like, you know, initially we were talking retirement's been pretty good for you or to you, I guess. And um, I know, you know, 2018, you had mentioned you had a, a really serious accident. I had followed along with your story as it was being shared, kind of what you were going through because of the circumstances and, you know, being overseas and, and kind of what had happened. So I mean, I, we don't have to touch too much on it, share whatever you'd like, but I mean, are you, you know, can you kind of lay out the scenario and kind of what occurred as that was yeah. in September, right? Of 2018? Um, November, 2018. November. Yeah. Yeah. So it was kind of, it was kind of a real weird off season. You know, it was like, it was one of my best years I had um, racing. You know, I got, you know, I, I got my permanent number, got enough points. So then I had a national number. So I had a really great year and, and I was actually supposed to be going to Japan when this happened. So I was supposed to go race in Japan. It got canceled. So then I wasn't planning on doing any international races. I just wanted to stay home, train and better myself for 19. And then um, it was like a Tuesday and I was out road biking training and I get a call from uh, Eric Pernoid, one of the uh, promoters for France for the Supercross race over there. And he's like, hey, what are you doing? I'm like, I'll just train him, dude. And he's like, you want to come over and race? this weekend and I'm like well it's Tuesday when do I gotta leave he goes you gotta pack your stuff and fly out tomorrow so I had to make a quick decision of like well shit I don't have I'm not gonna be able to ship a bike over there I'm gonna have to just send parts so it's kind of super scrambled the whole way through and then so I ended up saying cool I'll go let's go so it was last minute me and Justin Hill my mechanic went over souls and uh just kind of put put, put bikes together and you know we're kind of really unprepared and then um like obviously you know, first night of racing, got the first race, second race. Um, then obviously just came around the first turn, got collided with another rider. And, and then I wake up a few days later, don't remember anything and just kind of going through the motions. And then, you know, my dad's over there and Travis is over there and just kind of trying to figure out what happened at this point. You know, I can't talk, I'm traked, um, can't see out of my right eye. So a lot of crazy stuff that went on, you know, through that injury. And obviously, you know, getting hurt out of it. Um, they put me in an induced coma for four days. Um, I had four or five surgeries in France, you know, to reconstruct my whole face. I had a Lafort fracture one, two, and three. Um, just numerous, numerous problems, you know. And so I'm just at this point, you know, I'm, I'm lucky to be alive at that point because I've seen a lot of doctors and they all see my face scans and they're like, dude, you should be dead. Like, you're not, you shouldn't even be alive with what happened. And, uh, but that's, you know, that's just, my destiny man I you know you're you, you just fight hard and you stay with it and you know that's I came out of it alive and mm -hmm. and I'm grateful for the career I had and and I you know I can't for, ask for anything else than I had but um you know it's just one of those things where you know going into that injury in France language barrier and like you don't even know what's going on because you're so out of it you're doped up on morphine and drugs because you're in and out of surgery um and uh so it was a struggle, man. I mean, it was, you know, something I wouldn't wish upon anybody, you know, to ever go through that. And, um, but, you know, just, it was, I was stoked when I finally got out of that country, you know, just being there for 18 days in a hospital and, you know, just trying to 
get your body going again. And, and, you know, once I kind of got to it, you know, I was like, I told the nurse and the doctor, I said, take me off all this shit. Cause this is, this is slowing me down, you know, and they just wanted to pump you full of morphine. Here's more morphine, like take pain. I'm like, I don't do pain medicine. Like, like cut the shit off. So, you know, once I cut all that off and got done with that, I literally just started instantly getting back to normal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, started getting up out of bed, slowly standing, um, you know, spinning my legs on a little bike thing. And, you know, at that point, once I started getting the blood flowing and moving, then I was like, okay, it's time to get the hell out of here. Like told my dad, book a flight, get me out of here. I'm done with this, done with this place, fly me home, get out of here. And just kind of, that's kind of how it went down and just kind of came back to the States and, just kind of had a couple of doctor follow-ups and I had five or six more surgeries here over the last two years and just kind of trying to get back to normal for the most part. It's been, uh, it's been quite a ride. Yeah. I can't imagine, you know, to your point, being in another country that, that in itself is just, so it's a lot to think about, but, um, literally incredible to be sitting here talking with you after watching it. I mean, initially when I saw it, I went and like watch it over and over again. It didn't seem like it was something that was like too crazy of a crash. It kind of just like a, a really freak set of circumstances that you found yourself in. Yeah, it was, it was, I know I watched it to this day and I'm like, how did that happen? You know what I mean? Like, but it's just, it, it happened so fast and it's hard to tell, but it was one of those things where, you know, as I went down and I rolled over, I was laying on the face of a landing, you know? So the, the, the there was, 19 guys behind me because I think I was third and as I went down and I crashed and and on my side as soon as I went to roll over and and look up the other guy just frame cased my the center of my face so you know at that point it was like the worst part to get landed on because you know you obviously your goggles are in here you don't have the full protection of the helmet and um you know so at that point it was like you think like what the hell you know like how did how did all that happen you know because the rest of my body was fine and you know, obviously with that much weight, you know, you have a 250 pound motorcycle, the rider's 150 pounds, 200 pounds in gear. So that's just a lot of force to take upon your face at that point. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, like I said, man, I'm fortunate to be walking, you know, I'm glad that I didn't have any brain damage and, and I'm talking whatnot. I mean, I just, like I said, I lost the, I lost my right eyesight with all that. Cause I had optic nerve damage, but that's not the end of the world. I still got, you know, my left eye and I can see really well out of it. And and I, I make the best of it. Yeah. Had you had any serious injuries prior? Um, man, I've been pretty fortunate in my career of like no serious injuries, just kind of, you know, just small broken bones, foot, wrist. Um, but other than that, I mean, I'm kind of been pretty, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm, it's pretty hard to break me off at this point. You know what I mean? I've, yeah. I've taken hits and, you know, I usually bounce back from it pretty well. And, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I can't even think of an injury that's really held me out from, you know, majority of racing. Mm-hmm. No, that's awesome. So you mentioned your relationship with fly racing. I want to make sure give you another opportunity to kind of shout them out and what you're doing with them. You're an ambassador for fly. Yeah. So, um, I, after my kind of, after my injury, you know, I kind of at the point of last year, I was like, I'm not going to go to race. You know, if my eyes are not going to get better, um, since I've been with uh, fly racing for 12 years, I was like, Hey, let's, let's work a deal. Let's, let's do a brand ambassador deal. I think it'd be great for the industry and, and great for the brand. So I instantly transitioned over into that, um, you know, starting out halfway through 2019 and then going into 2021 and all that. So I pretty much just, uh, we kind of put together a cool program. Um, I kind of, they kind of give me free reins to be able to dabble in, in motorcycle stuff, Harley products through hard drive, um, through Western power sports and all that. So I kind of, um, 
my main focus is obviously motor, oh, is motorcycles and motocross. So I do, I do the supercross events. We do ride days across the country. You know, we visit dealers and we kind of just, just go out and make people aware of who we are and what we're doing and, you know, bringing back the love for the sport and, you know, just keeping it alive more or less. So it's a, it's a great company to be with. I mean, like I said, it's, they've stuck behind me through everything and, you know, I kind of owe it to them, you know, to kind of get back to them as a brand. So. No, it's really cool. It's really cool. Yeah. Anything else that you're up to people should be aware of? Um, man, I just, just busy, man, right now, just, you know, I, we're obviously detuning from, you know, we did our last ride day two weeks ago. Um, just at this point, like I said, just wide open, building a house in Boise and just trying to, trying to detune from that. And obviously with the holidays coming up, you know, family coming to town and, you know, trying to get the business stuff sorted out and everything else, but it's been, it's been pretty mellow, you know, for the most part, but, um, I mean, I just can't, I mean, there's really nothing else I do, you know, just running the business here and traveling for fly and just trying to have a great time, man. Just trying to, trying to enjoy a retired kind of life from motocross, but still kind of, you know, stay busy and, and be active. Yeah. No, man, that's, that's really awesome. Um, you a coffee drinker at all? Yes. I'm drinking coffee right now all day. Like just coffee, coffee, coffee. Awesome. I'll, uh, I'll connect with you and get your address. I'll send you some, uh, I'm a partner in coffee brand that, that, uh, sponsors this podcast. It's called action. So it's, uh, it's kind of perfect for you, but, uh, you'll have to let me know how it tastes. If you're somebody who enjoys it, I'm sure you'll, you know, give me an unbiased opinion. Uh, yeah. I was looking for those. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Like I said, man, I've, I enjoy coffee that I've, I got an expensive coffee machine. I, I do love a French press and just kind of cold brew stuff. I'm, I'm all over the place, but I, I enjoy coffee. I don't even get, you know, psyched up on it. It's just more of a, a taste thing for me. You know, I like the flavor of it. And awesome. I, almost, I actually was thinking, uh, I almost started a coffee business. I was wanting to kind of do, get into it and, you know, start some roasting and all that kind of stuff. But it was like, I was kind of looking at it like, man, there's so many companies out there that are doing it. I just didn't want it to fall into a saturated market of being overlooked and overseen. So I kind of just, you know, pump the brakes on that. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely a grind and that's no pun intended. Um, you know, I'm, I'm lucky. I have a great partner. He's, uh, he's a former on it employee. So if you're familiar with on it, um, yep. supplement brand, so he was uh, VP of operations there for a while. And he left uh, after he went down to Guatemala on a trip and went to this farm on the side of a volcano and was like, I really want to get involved in coffee. So he started the brand and got involved. He does all the roasting for me. So I'm more, I'm just the front end guy. I do the marketing and, and some of the other fun stuff. And he's, you know, five, six days a week standing over top of a roaster perfecting oh. the, the, the batch, but yeah, dude, it's, it's fun. I'll, uh, I'm excited to send you some, get your opinion on it. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Definitely. I tried it. So so social media, where can we blast you at? Um, just uh, Instagram, Weston Pike, Twitter, Weston Pike, same as Facebook, Weston Pike. Um, just kind of those are about the three main sources I'm, I'm running on and all that stuff. So I can roll it off with that and kind of go from there. Well, I appreciate it, man. I, uh, it's cool having you on. I, I hope uh, actually, you know, get you on here again in the future after you get your uh, self situated up in Boise, tell me how life is outside of California, how things are progressing and, uh, and whatnot, but it was a pleasure to have you on and to have an opportunity to talk with you and uh, good luck with everything that you're working on right now, man. 
definitely appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. It was good just to get something else different out there. Cause like I said, I do so many, you know, motorcycle podcasts. It's good to kind of, <laughs> and do something different, you know, just so other people in the world that don't know what motorcycles is, you know, they can kind of, you know, get kind of an idea of what's going on. So. Yeah, no, I, you know, my wife isn't too fond of me having two wheels, but it's something that I, my goal is to grab a, like a cool Harley cruiser here at some point and just sit back and take nice rides on the weekend and, and enjoy nature. And I'm up in Pennsylvania. So there's, there's like so many really cool areas to go riding. A lot of people do it just, mm -hmm. uh, just to yeah, skate a little bit. I have a, uh... I built a 2019 road glide this year for Sturges and, and I've always been into Harley. So, I mean, I kind of, I love it, man. It's a blast. I really recommend getting a bike and just getting out and taking the wife out and having a good time. It's definitely clears your head and, you know, you just get to experience something different. Yeah. No, I'll have to, I'll have to make her listen to this a few times and realize yeah. what she's missing. And uh, next time we connect, I'll let you know if I made any progress. Yeah. Just don't let her watch any of the crazy people. <laughs> doing wheelies down the street and all that <laughs> uh, i've told her too many stories i had a friend um he actually did the podcast early on he's a big gun guy and just yeah. crazy dude he was uh, like air force paratrooper just lives on the extreme and he uh he moved to florida for a number of years and he came back to pennsylvania and uh he just spent a lot of time with him in the weight room and he had this mm -hmm. badass yamaha yzfr1 and he would just take, I mean, he would take my younger brother on it and do hundred mile an hour wheelies down the road. And my mom would be in tears because it's just like, you're going to kill my kid. And, uh, you know, he had told us a couple stories. I mean, people that he was out riding with and some of the shit that they were doing down in Florida. And my mom's like, you're never getting on the back of that bike with that man again. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah see, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the kind of guy, I don't ride street bikes. Yeah. Cause I just know they go way too fast and I'll end up killing myself. So I just stick to performance baggers and, you know, I, I, I mean, my bike still goes 140 miles an hour, but it's just, it's more of a, you know, a fun little bike, take it out to the canyons and just kind of rip around. I mean, that's kind of what I like. Cause it's like I said, you get into the street bike stuff and, and you could push the envelope way more. And then that just sets you up for, for those little extra errors that can just kind of kill you real quick. So, yeah. Yeah, it's that that zero to hundred and how quickly you can get there is a little ex excessive, but no. It's all fun, man. It's it's good. I recommend getting a bike and getting out. It's it's a good time. Yeah, no, for sure. Weston, appreciate it, my friend. All right, awesome. It was a good time, man. I appreciate you having me on. So Most definitely.